Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Flamingo Sundays podcast on your Monday morning. I'm joined by uh, my fellow radio host, Mr. Oh, actually, I don't even need to say your name. Just talk and I reckon all the listeners will uh, will get an understanding of who it is. He's the real deal. He's the man himself. I'm not angry. I'm happy to be here with Jack. <laughs> We're uh, going to have a good time. It's Dave Husey Hughes. So. How are you, mate? You're looking good. good too. Thank you. Have you, done something, have you done something with your skin? No, I think it's just a lighting, mate, through the uh, through the Zoom. But I'm not, I don't, haven't got a filter on, but um, I'd like to, I don't know, I'm really taking that compliment on board. So that's a lovely thing for you to say. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Look, here's a, in, in Australia, mate, you're definitely a household name. I, knew, I know I grew up watching you on the TV and listening to you on the radio. Um, but, mate, I don't think a lot of people know where, where, the, where the Husey comes from. And mate, I've I've had a few listens of a few podcasts, and it's a it's a, it's mate, I reckon it's a pretty inspiring story. So I reckon a good place to kick off would be let's go back to young Husey before yeah. he was a household name. Yeah. Um, and mate, just give people an understanding of of how it all started, and and you know how we've sort of become to the person you are right now. Yeah. Well, so I grew up in uh, country Victoria, so a place called Warrnambool, which is a very pretty town. Uh, three hours. Beautiful early. place. Yeah, three hours west of Melbourne, just at the end of the Great Ocean Road. So a town of like 20, 25,000 people. So uh, I grew up in the 70s. I was born at the end of 1970. Um, yeah, so I was, uh, I, um, you know, my parents were, uh, they were, uh, I would say they were humble, but, you know, we didn't have a big house and we lived in a commission house. Although that still annoys my mum when I say that because she's like, you want it for nothing, David. And, well, that's true, but I did want <laughs> I wanted for, you know, an Adidas tracksuit where I had to deal with, I had to get the two-stripe target job. So, you know, <laughs> I did want for something, Mum. So, yeah, so I grew up there. Um, I uh, was pretty good at school um, and was into sport. But, uh, you know, I had uh, I had delusions of grandeur, mate, where I, I, I wanted to be the best at everything. And uh, so, yeah, I was, there was a lot of nights for me lying in bed crying because I didn't get picked for the footy team or, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, the, the girl's first choice of hot dude. <laughs> wanted, so. Mate, I find that hard to believe. Yeah, thank you, mate. You're full of compliments and I appreciate that. But, uh, you yeah, know, I was, uh, I was uh, a smart kid and a kid who did have ambition. Uh, and, but, you know, I discovered comedy when I reckon I was about 14 or 13 or 14. Actually, you know what, in grade six I did a, I did a, a thing for on a school camp. We had a little impromptu play and I was able to get heaps of laughs at that. So I probably had the inkling to be a comedian from the age of 11 or 12 and it was bubbling away in the back of my mind as I was going through my teenage years and I'd have the odd occasion where I'd get in front of a, a group of people at school, uh, you know, like doing a speech for school for, for my class and able to make everyone laugh really hard and, yeah, so the bug sort of, it took hold, I reckon, as a, as a teenager. And I remember lying in bed one night, probably the age of 13 or 14, thinking, I know what I want to do with my life. I want to be a comedian. And I remember feeling lucky at that time. Uh, but, you know, you, as a country kid, it was a, it was a pipe dream and I couldn't even tell anyone I wanted to do it. You know what I mean? So I was like too, you know, well, I mean, the irony is you, you think people will laugh at you when you tell them you want to be a comedian. So I kept it to myself. But... <laughs> And I went to uni. I did. I actually did IT at uni, my first uni course back in 1989, mate. Which, and if you do your history of the internet, it started in about 1990. 1989, I had a scholarship to do 
information technology, which I quit after about six weeks. So I couldn't see the future. I didn't realize the future was online. So, and then I did a business degree, didn't finish that either. But I remember failing my uh, business degree terribly, doing an exam where I hadn't studied, had no idea. And in that exam, I was thinking, I want to be a comedian anyway, so I don't really care about this. So got kicked out of that uni course and, yeah, started comedy not long after that at the age of, uh, I think I was 21 or 22 when I did my first stand-up comedy gig. So. And, and, mate, obviously, you know, be- becoming a comedian would be very similar to growing up saying, I want to be the next Brad Pitt, you know. Like, yeah. the reality is it's like 1% of or 0.1% maybe of, of comedians actually make it and make a living and become a household name, the other 99.9, you know, we're just down your local bar getting blind on a Friday <laughs> night hoping, <laughs> hoping someone will laugh at you. So did when you had the aspirations of becoming a comedian, was there, you know, the, the financial drive as well? Because it doesn't sound like you come from a bunch of money where mum and dad just said, hey, mate, you're going to be a comedian and I'll fund your lifestyle. Like obviously it would have been a balance of becoming a comedian, but then also making enough money so you could eat. Yeah, man, it was. It was. Uh, it was definitely very uh, tough financially when I started. So, you know what? I I actually m- went to Perth. I dropped out of university and I I drove to Perth with a friend of mine. Uh, his name is his nickname was Rat, and um, so we're we're living in like a, a you know a two bedroom flat in Perth, and uh, th- and then there was a little comedy club in Perth. Was my dream was going to come true? I was going to get up at this comedy club and do stand up comedy, you know, for free. And I remember the first night I did it, um, you know, it was a new comics get to start the night and, you know, the professionals would come on later on, well, as many professional comedians as Perth had, which wasn't many at the time. And um, I got on stage and Rat, my flatmate Rat didn't come to the show, but I, I got on stage and no one laughed and I was so embarrassed and I did not keep my dignity and um, it was just an awful experience and, in this little comedy club, there was no backstage, so you had to walk through the crowd after you'd finished your set, and it was the worst walk of my life, having to walk through people who just were looking at me like I was deluded. And I actually, on the, my gig was was I did was talking about being teased at school, and as I'm walking out, one bloke from the crowd yelled out, "They were right to tease you." <laughs> I could imagine the crowd in Perth back in. Back in those times, it would have been a good crowd too. It was horrifying. And I'm, I got back to my share house with Rat and he said, how'd you go? And I said, not good. And he said, do you know why? And I said, not really. And then Rat looked at me and said, because you are not funny. And it was like <laughs> the support system I had where like I dropped out of uni, put all my eggs in this comedy basket and there I was, 22, broke with no futures. So I actually Some thought... punter in the crowd. Just yeah, ripping into you. Just ripping into me. And I'm like, oh. But I actually thought if I don't go back to that comedy room the next week, I'll never do it again. So I I got the uh, courage and I went back there and I got back on stage. And I actually talked about how bad I was the week before. And I look, I didn't blow the roof off the joint, but I kept my dignity. So and I got a few chuckles. So that was um, that, that getting back on the horse the second time was probably the most important gig I ever did, to be honest. Mate, and what, what do you think the driver to that was? Because old mate didn't think you were too funny and Rat said, mate, you probably should give this up. I know. It was, you know what, I actually thought, you know, I, you know even though my ego has been destroyed, I wasn't physically hurt. And, like, and I actually, even then, I had the maturity to, to realise that no one else cared and I was the only one who was, who wor- was worried. So 
yeah, it was just that, just do it, you know. And yeah, so actually, the, my third gig was my ever my best. The third time I did that second one, kept my dignity. I probably didn't do it for another three months because I was so stressed. There was an ad in the paper. It said new comics required in the West Australian newspaper. And I actually rang the number and it was the same venue. I didn't realise it was the same venue that I'd done the first two gigs at. And the guy in charge, another comedian, said, look, I remember you. You weren't that bad. You should have another go. And I said, thanks. So but that third gig I walked on stage and my brain actually told me that I was a winner just for doing it. And it actually relaxed me so much that that third gig I did was the best gig, probably the best gig to this moment that I remember. I was just, the crowd really laughed hard and um, I walked off that, I floated off stage that, that, that night and, I, and, I, and that was where I thought, you know what, I'm right. I do have something. And, yeah, I'm probably still chasing that high, mate, to be honest. (laughs) You're still chasing those panties that were thrown at you from the third (laughs) row. (laughs) Mate, so how do you go from being Perth Comedy Club, you know, three gigs in thinking you're on top of the world to actually making a career out of it, right? Because even though, you know, you're in comedy, there's a lot of industries that's very, very similar where, doesn't really look like at the start of it there's going to be much money or, or something you can do for the rest of your life but you obviously built something out of it how did you go about that process i had a passion for it and it really was something i loved doing so i would keep going back to that little comedy club in perth after that third gig and i was just so hooked and i just yeah the, it was i ended up getting paid from that comedy club but then i moved to melbourne i started again and i had another bad experience in melbourne with a big comedy bigger comedy scene where no one laughed really at my first gig. <laughs> and I was like, here I am again with no one laughing. But, yeah, it was just, honestly, I threw all, I had no I had no fallback plan, mate. I was like, I was doing work, like, to make a living as well. So, but there was no, that was, for me, the comedy was the goal and I just kept going, you know. I did, I did a bit of sales work, but that was like, I wasn't very good at it. I was no good at anything else. <laughs> so, but I did, I loved the comedy, so... And incrementally, I did start making some money. I was on the dole at the time, to be honest, as well. So, you know, well, the funny thing is, which Hey Hey at Saturday had a reunion, a 50-year reunion TV special last year, and they, they played a bit of my stand-up back from the mid-'90s on the show, which was an honour that, you know, of all the stand-ups who've been on that TV show, which went for a long time, they used my spot. But um, And it was me joking about being on the dole, actually, so... And the irony of that was I was on the doll at the time I was making those jokes, but those jokes about being on the doll actually helped launch my career. So, yeah, and, and, and for me, it's the attitude of whatever situation you're in, seeing the lighter side of it, which has helped me through my whole life, and I think it can help everyone through their life. If, you, if you're able to laugh at your own inadequacies or your own insecurities or your own failings, you're bulletproof and, yeah, so me being able to laugh at my own, not being able to get a girlfriend or not being able to get a job or whenever I've failed in life, being able to laugh at that has helped me succeed. So, yeah, and it, it has been financially rewarding, but you know what? would have been rewarding enough just for an audience to laugh at, at my failures. Right. So so you think, I've, I've heard the saying before, it's essentially using, using the ammunition on yourself before, you know, your competitors or before other people can. So making fun out of, yeah, the things you do in life and taking everything with a, with a grain of salt. Yeah, and I, I think that is something that people do. Uh, you know, they, they will 
the more you can laugh at yourself, the more people will like you because they know that you're not coming from this position of ego, which just annoys people. Yeah, taking the piss out of yourself. Yeah, yeah. So when, when was the real big break? Like, you know, it sounds like you come from very, very humble beginnings. When was the time where you sort of thought, fuck, you know, I'm going to make something out of this? Or, you know, there's always yeah. that quantum leap, right, from yeah. where you go from, you know, just being an average punter to, you know, seeing the, the bright light that you've been chasing. Yeah, well, it was, for me, it was, you know what, it was you know, when I did the Hey Hey at Saturday spot, which was a paid spot. I actually, they had an amateur section of that show called Red Faces, which, you know, I couldn't get on. I tried to get on that, and the guy in charge of that was like, nah, you're not for us. You know, I'm like, so, you know, they, what I'm talking about, there was knockbacks for me. Well, you can't even be on, they let any fool go on Red Faces, and they wouldn't let me <laughs> Actually, this, this, I tried to audition for this Red Faces part of Hey Act Saturday twice, and the second time I got so annoyed because the guy, I'm trying to do my routine in front of a guy and he's looking at his clipboard. And I said, mate, my eyes, can you look up and just watch me do it? You know? And he got he got a bit worried about me and got the security guard to walk me out. And so I was like, like I was almost banned from Channel 9 from the studio for being too aggressive. But, um, yeah, but anyway, I did talk about being on the doll, got paid for it on Hey Act Saturday, but that wasn't the big break. I was still stayed on the dole after that time. But in 1999, I, it was a, the Comedy Fest, the Melbourne Comedy Fest will have a gala night, which is on TV, which is coming up again soon. And I, I wanted to get on that and I got on in 1999. And um, that was the moment where the light was turned on for people and, they, and, and I went on TV and then the next night, hang on, I've got, you know, I'm selling out venues and going to bigger venues. So it really was... You know, I'd worked at stand-up comedy from 1993 to 99, so six years, but then there was that moment where it went bang. And then, you know what, I thought, oh, hang on, I'm, I'm going to make a living here. You know, it's like, you know, my first reward was I went and bought myself a, a, a Toyota Corolla. So that was really... A new one or a second-hand one? A brand-new Toyota oh, Corolla. Oh, spanker, straight off the showroom. Yeah, I thought it was blue, but other people thought it was purple. So I basically bought a Nana car. Um <laughs> You've got the paint protection and all. You know, I've got all the fancy extras. So. You have any, in, the, in, in the early 2000s, late 90s, you probably would have had fluffy dice hanging off the, uh, off yeah. the mirror. Yeah, well, we ended up, uh, I ended up doing a radio, getting a radio job on Nova back in the day. And um, we, we, gave that, we gave that car away to a listener, you know. So it's like. And That's we did, when you really know you've made it. I know. When you can give your car away on radio. So. <laughs> Mate, that's interesting. So, so from that gig, you know, it was six years of essentially eating shit, you know, making yeah, no money, absolutely. building a brand, and then, you know, in an instant, you know, moving forward, your, your career sounds like a change. Yeah. And the thing is, I had the, I had the material, I, I had the jokes, which I'd been working on, you know, and I was over those years, I was making money, but I was, I'm not going to lie, I was still on the dole because. I wasn't making enough money to live on, so I was like, yeah. But um, yeah. So, but yeah, there was it was a, it was a dedication. It was a saying yes to every gig. It was it was front footing it. I mean, people used to laugh at me because I'd have these mottos up on my bedroom wall about you know living in the moment and everything's ridiculous and yeah, these mantras of basically you know trying to get your mindset into the right position. So yeah, and, and, and was that out. a big thing for you? Like I noticed you said just before. You know, no one else gives a fuck essentially except for yourself when you yeah. were coming off the stage and, you know, you thought, fuck, I'm, I'm a failure, you know, I think I'm funny. But the reality is the crowd would have remembered you for about 30 seconds and then something yeah. else would have, you know, taken it. So is that a big thing for you that, you know, realising that essentially everyone else is useless as well? And 
Yeah, it's 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 and I've you know I've been I've been I've been reading well I was reading self help books back from when I was like seventeen or eighteen, uh, and it is it is very powerful when you realize and you and I forget as well and I need keep, need to keep reminding myself because you know to this day you worry about bullshit and we all worry about stuff that well, there's no need to worry about it but yeah that constantly coming back to the to the fact that. I'm in charge of my own reality and, and everyone is. And, and I, you know, I make the decisions about how I perceive the world and no one else can do that. So, yeah, so for whatever situation I'm in, I'm the one who is creating that space inside my head. So, yeah, so, and that's a really powerful thing to realise that you can and you do, not even you can, you do make every decision that, that affects your life. You know, you you are the one who can look at a situation you choose how you look at situations basically and uh, and so and you can and if the, the way you're choosing to look at situations isn't making you happy you can choose to look another way and that's and, and that's you do do that and mate do you just the two things on that do you think like obviously when you were coming up through the comedy scene i'm sure a lot of the guys who are now you know comics and are making a living out of it you know, you probably come up with them. And then there was probably some people that you come up with who you thought would have made it and, and potentially didn't. And do you think the big contributor other than you being funny was the mindset around, well, I'll just keep cracking on at this. Yeah, and- absolutely. There's, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I back myself and think I'm a genius and I'm not going to lie about that. But, <laughs> and I'm not that everyone else does. A lot of people don't think I'm a genius, but I do, but anyway, that's enough. But um, yeah, absolutely. There's other comedians who, were very funny but did not have the drive. So, and if you don't have the drive, you don't make it. So you, you've got to want to do it yourself. There's been really funny comedians with really good joke writers who just, for whatever reason, couldn't be bothered, you know, or didn't want to do it or whatever. And there's other guys who I did not think had the talent, and I still don't think they've got the talent, but they've got the drive. And that drive will does wonders and, and it gets people to places that other people would look and go, no way I thought you would have made a career out of comedy, but you have, and, and, and fair play to you. And, and, and I'll say there's probably people who say that about me as well. So, <laughs> but, yeah, the drive is the number one thing. It's the, it's the enthusiasm. I've always wondered that. You know, you look at, like, the most successful people in any industry or the top 1% of any industry, and a lot of the time they're not the best at it or they're not, you know, someone where you're like, fuck that person. I can understand why yeah. they've made it. And then you look at other people who are the part of the 99% who don't make it or, you know, just average. And there's so many people in there that have the, the talent or have the, the, you know, ambition, but then their work ethic and their mindset doesn't match up with it. And they're always just average. It's, it's, yeah. it's always amazed me. Oh, look, I absolutely. And yeah, I agree. I mean, it is that the more effort you put in, generally the more you get out of it, you know, and that's for me, like it's doing it, to this day, getting up at comedy clubs whenever I can, often for no, still for no, I'll get up at clubs for no money just because I want to be on stage. And every <laughs> second, every, and that's just, I'm addicted to it, to be honest, but every second you put in, you know, it will, will pay off. It, it will. So yeah, no matter what, you know, we're talking about, it's that, it's that effort and, and the focus, which actually does pay off. And mate, just another thing is, is, you know, financially, I know a lot of young people and a lot of young people listen to this podcast, like money's a really big thing and it's a big driver for people, right? If they, like, they, they've got a passion that they want to chase, but they can't yeah. make money doing it. They usually go down another path because they need to live. They live above their means. They fucking yeah. have the FOMO and they want to do all the shit their friends are doing. How did you balance that? Because it doesn't sound like you come from money. It sounds like you're all, you know, would have struggled for money when you were young, but you still chase that dream and you still chase that hobby and it ended up paying off. 
Yeah, look, I, money was never a main focus for me, to be honest. But I mean, I, I've always lived to like. I'm never. I'm not like you know. I don't. I'm, I'm. You know, I could. I could afford a Porsche, but I've never bought a Porsche. You know, so um, so I'm, I. I don't know. I. You know, I'm just not someone who has over leveraged themselves in ways. And when I have spent money, generally it's on some an investment that will make money, like property. We're going to talk about yeah, 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 property or shares or stuff that you know, can make its own money. So um. So I was never massively focused on the money, and I, I understand that it's a, it can be tricky for people who think they've got to give up their dreams to, um, you know, to make money. But I would say to those people, can you live cheaper? Live cheaper, so that you can continue to follow your dreams. You know, don't put yourself in situations where you can't follow your dreams. So, yeah, and yeah, I'm not a spend, I'm not a big spender of money. So even back in those days, back when I was on the dial, back you know in the mid '90s. I still, once I'd started comedy, I never got to my last two cents. You know, I kept some money in the bank and some of it, you know, was in there because I was getting paid cash and I was still getting the dollar. <laughs> but live cheap. I reckon live cheap so that you can pursue your dreams as much as possible. You know, and, yeah, be smart with your investments. And and on that living cheap thing, do you now, because a lot of people say to me, oh, yeah, but I don't want to fucking miss out on what my friends are doing. You know, my mate's gone to Europe this year or they've got the new car. I don't want to look back on my younger years and, you know, regret that I didn't do things. Do you look back on your younger years now when you've got the financial capacity to probably do anything you want and go, oh, fuck, I wish I would have wish I would have went on that extra holiday. I wish I would have not done that or, or not um, compromised and, and saved the money there. Like, is that something that's relevant to you or are you you're very happy with yeah, everything I'm, unfolded? I, look, I'm very happy. I mean, I, I probably wish that, you know, while I was single, I had met more girls. To be honest. <laughs> that was probably, you know, I met my beautiful wife about 20 years ago at the height of my fame, to be honest. So maybe one more year before I met her would have been good. <laughs> but, um, so, well, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I love comedy. So I found something I love. So And it luckily has paid off for me. So I, I'm doubly lucky because I'm... I, I, I'd still do, and I would do it for free more often. So, yeah, I'm not too worried about. But then again, I am, I'm starting now to think I have, you know, saved a lot of money. I've got some good investments, and, and I've got children who aren't showing much gratitude. Do you know what I mean? So they, <laughs> do they deserve the money or not? I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. Champagne problems, they say, huh? No, my wife said, we'll just give it away. I said, I can't give it away. I'm not giving it away. Maybe you should just say, kids, when you turn 18, straight down to the dole office and you can you can learn how dad learns. Exactly. I should. Yeah, it's not easy getting that dole form in every fortnight, the pressure <laughs> to write down the jobs that you look for. <laughs> what did I do this week? <laughs> oh shit. Mate, moving on to moving on to the investment side of things. You know, we we met through the, the property yeah. sphere and most people know you were just an average punter who rolled up onto the block one day and chucked your paddle up and ended up, you know, buying a house. But mate, I've listened to a few podcasts recently in an interview recently that comes to mind around, you know, it's not just property for you. You're invested in, in shares and you've had some issues with margin calls that I want to chat about. And then also the, the um, you know, the crypto stuff now. Yeah. Where, where, did, where did the investment IQ come from? Because it doesn't sound like, you know, you were brought up with, no, I wasn't absolutely buy not. investments. No, no, definitely not. So I suppose with property, it's like you just wanted to get into the market. My first uh, property was in Melbourne in about two thousand and two. So um, yeah, I mean it's everyone's. I mean it is the great Australian dream or the great American dream or the great dream is to own your own house. So you know, I was 
you know, someone who'd been on the dog for so long and not even thought about it, and there'd be a lot of people listening here probably thinking they'll never be able to afford their own house. But, you know, if you keep working, it, it, it can happen. So, And you so bought that I, three years after you essentially had the big break. Like 99, you said, was sort of the year where yeah. you thought it all happened. So that's not sure. I went not, from no not, money not to after. a lot of money. Real, I went from no money to a lot of money really quick. So I, I got on radio and TV. And it, from there, it was like, you know, life changed really quickly. But again, I, I still didn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not flashy. So I never really spent the money that I, that I got. I know some people spend every cent they've got. From, I've never been that guy. So, um, yeah, so I bought, a, I bought a, a, an apartment in uh, looking over Luna Park in St Kilda in Melbourne and um, just went from there basically. So, and then I, I got in, interested in the uh, stock market um I, I actually got a I thought because this was in 2007 the stock market was rising and rising or 2006 it was rising and rising and rising and I'm like why aren't I in on this you know so I talked to the bank and said guys well, how do I get in on this and they said just get a margin loan man you know and it's just like get a loan Explain what a margin loan is for the punters who don't know it's it's a loan that you uh, it's normally I think it's related to shares where you get a, a loan from the bank and you don't have to pay, you know, you just pay interest, you don't pay pay it back, and you use that loan against buying shares. So, and at the time in 2006, the share market was going up and up and up, so it seemed like easy money to do it. So I got like a $2 million loan, $2.1 million. <laughs> and I just started spending that money like it was Monopoly money, buying whatever shares, you know, oh, buy this, a bit of that, you do it online. And then the GFC hit, it was flat, and it went, bang and then the market dropped like 50 percent and then you'd get calls from the bank saying we want our money back i'm like well why did you give it to me in the first place <laughs> so yeah it was a very stressful time if people are old enough to remember the gfc so but you know what i was luckily for me i was able to pay the money back without having to sell any of the shares because the people who really lost money were the ones who had to sell their shares for half what they bought them for just to pay, pay the money money. back to the bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, and I, but anyway, I was able to pay off the loan after all these calls, and um, a few of the companies I'd invested in just went broke. So I don't know. And that is a weird experience when you invest in a company and then all of a sudden it disappears off the share market. Like, what happened? Where'd the money go? <laughs> There's no cash. There's no cash here. Well, why would we? Why were you selling shares like a month, like a day ago? I bought these shares, and now today you've gone. So, that was ABC Learning was a childcare centres, which is one of the ones I had, and um, Babcock and Brown, which was an investment company, which apparently were like Macquarie Bank, except Macquarie Bank's now worth billions, and Babcock and Brown <laughs> like Macquarie <laughs> Bank, they're different. <laughs> so yeah, so I, but you know what, I I actually was able to hold on to those shares, and some of them I didn't look at the share market for years because I was just. I was absolutely devastated by what I'd done. But then a couple of years later, I went back and had a look. And some of those companies that I'd bought in that monopoly money spree that I'd done initially had turned into massive winners like realestate.com.au. That's that I bought that at like two bucks and now it's like worth 200. It was that was crazy. So there was there was companies that really had taken off. So yeah, that was um so that was my start of my share portfolio, which is still going today. And, I bought, and I did bought you have actually, like mentors or, or you know, who, who guided you? Because having no financial IQ or very little and, and buying a property is one thing, but then going to the bank and getting 2.1 mil of margin loans, that's a, that's a whole kettle of fish. 
I just went online, you know, and just, you know, it's, just, it's or, you know, I was like, Money Magazine, what do they think I should do? It was really. What's Effie's arse think I should do? Yeah. Okay. It was very low fi very, yeah. So, but you know what? It's actually worked out. I, one of my big investments now is like tech companies in America because it's very easy to get angry at tech companies in America because they've taken all the money from so many industries. You know what I mean? Like, like industries like taxis are no longer around basically because of Uber. It's all the money. All like, like Apple have taken so much money off me personally. You know, I mean, all my Apple devices or Google have taken all the advertising money. So it's so annoying. Amazon are taking all the bloody money from, you know, from retail. Everything. <laughs> so it's all being funneled into America. And I thought this is really makes me angry. But the only way to be less angry is to actually buy into those companies. So you're like, and that's quite easy to do. So yeah, I've got a lot of uh, holdings in those American tech companies, and you know, I, I get angry at them. But part of me goes, "Well, I'm part of the problem because I own part of the company." Now. <laughs> and and now it's a little bit of crypto as well, from from what I understand. I just How- just right, the day I bought crypto, it basically the next day it halved. So I haven't looked at that again. I don't know what that's doing right now. <laughs> but that crypto, you, I don't know, crypto is something that's so vague. I don't, it's a weird. Does feel like a Ponzi scheme, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Mate, you never know. Yeah, I uh, personally, I'm I'm not into it. I only like assets that I can put something in, and they pay me some sort of dividend, whether it's shares because they give you a dividend for business, or property because you get rent. You, yeah. The whole uh, crypto thing is it's essentially you've got the perspective that someone's willing to pay more for it in the future. That's that's its intrinsic value. Yeah, it's a, it's a confidence game, and uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose it's it's worth thinking. Well, if someone paid, you know, I don't know what a Bitcoin, I don't know what that is now. If someone paid a hundred dollars. What is Bitcoin at? Is it like I don't know, I don't know. 30, thirty or forty thousand? I'm pretty sure. Is it? Yeah, US. <laughs> yeah. God, and yeah, it's all those stories about you know I should have bought it when it was a dollar, and some people did buy it. It's like buying. A, I know, you know a lot of people have made a lot of money out of it. Yeah, and I know yeah. a lot of people haven't as well. I know it was like Sydney property market though, isn't it? Like, is that is it ever going to bust the Sydney property market? <laughs> I don't know, oh, mate. It's it's very interesting. It's very interesting. You know, I'm not sure if you listened to to Grant Cardone or people like him who talks about the printing of money, but you know, it's it's something like sixty plus percent of all dollars in circulation in the United States of America were printed in the last eighteen months. So all of that money that's in the in the ecosystem right now, and Australia is the same, I'm not sure the percentage wouldn't be as high, but you know, if for every $1 you have, you can leverage that into property by say five times, then all the money in circulation can essentially increase property prices by five times that amount of liquid. Yeah, yeah. So, because it's leverage. So, you know, who knows what can happen with the real estate <laughs> market, but I'd much rather bet with it than against it, that's for sure. Well, yeah, I think you, if you bet with it over the last 100 years, you've done well. There's no doubt about that. So, yeah, and then yeah, what to if, be able to see what you've invested in is, is a nice thing. What's some of, your, uh, some of your biggest learnings, like looking back now by investing in property and by investing in shares, you know, are you pro one or the other or do you think there's a, a, a combination I think it's a combination of both, but I, I reckon, in, in, even with well, a, you know, a, a fool like me has done well. Do you know what I mean? And that's because I did it. It's I, I, I think you do have to take the chance, you know. And I, I really think, yeah, I mean, I, I'm more regretting things I didn't do than things I did. You know, I've done a few things that have lost money, but overall, 
investing has been really good for me. And it's, you know, and to be able to, I mean, it's a simple thing of if you can earn a dollar today and you can invest that dollar so it earns you a dollar tomorrow, I mean, that's the, that's the dream where you don't have to work anymore because the work you've done is doing the work for you. And that's, you know, through investments, that is, and that can be property or, or, or real estate or maybe, I don't know about crypto, but yeah, but that is, that is definitely a beautiful thing. Absolutely. And do you still own the original apartment you bought in St Kilda? No, I don't own that one because the guy who lived underneath me smoked so much. I used to go through the floorboards and it was like, I felt like I was in a nightclub in, you know, 1972 because it would just he smoked. He was a chain smoke, go straight through the floorboards. And luckily, though, he, he, owned a, he did own a nightclub down the road and he had a lot of spare cash. And I'm like, mate, you, if you bought my apartment, then you'd have the bottom and the top apartment and, both, and you look out to, you know, a great view, be really good for you. And, and I convinced him to buy my apartment. So he smoked me out. But he gave me a real good premium. <laughs> and he paid cash as well. He you paid, still got that under the lounge paid, somewhere. He paid cash. And, uh, yeah, so he's done nothing with the two apartments but apart from smoking them. So, yeah, so I don't own that one. But, um, yeah, and I bought another house and I sold it. But, yeah, I've got a, a few properties, mate. I'm going okay. I, I still still haven't invested in the Sydney property market, though, which is my – my big thing, God Almighty! Imagine if we would have bought last year. Huh? I know, man. I know. I actually doing Sydney radio and Hughie Ed and Aaron now, and you know, I knew I was going to do it in twenty twenty, and I was looking at property then, and I didn't buy, man. And I know I talked to you last year, but that was even a year after I still hadn't. Oh, mates, I could have, yeah. Again, regret what you don't do, not what you do do. You know, so. Just is, do it. Is the I'll wife take... convinced? Is she convinced about Sydney yet? Or no, mate, let's. It's a conversation for another day. So <laughs> it is. I mean, it's all of Australia is beautiful, but yeah, no, there's uh, Sydney's a special town. There's no doubt about it. Mate, I visited Womberall only like three weeks ago. I did a, a a rally, a car rally, and one of our stops was the hotels. Right on the pier there in Womberall, where the beach and uh, Warn- are you talking about Warnable? You talking Warnable? Yeah, that's it. That's, yeah, yeah. that's the place. <laughs> <laughs> um, country yeah. Victoria. You went to Country Victoria, did you? Is that right? Mate, it was beautiful. Yeah, right at the end of the um the Great Great, Great Ocean yeah, Road. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah Warnable. Yeah. So you visited Warnable, mate? That is a that's unusual. A lot of most people have never been there. So, mate, I'd never I never even knew it existed. I still don't even know what it's called. I can't pronounce. No, it no, exactly. Mate. No, it's it was pretty, a beautiful place. It's yeah, a yeah. beautiful place. I mean, it's you know, it's it can get a bit cold. It's quite close to Antarctica, but it is a it is a beautiful place. So that's my hometown, mate. So there you go. Good on you mate, for getting about out and about. Thank you, thank you, mate. Just before we wrap up, I know you're a busy man, um, mate. I think one of the things that I've taken just from from the last sort of five minutes is one of the big things that you live by is you usually regret the things that you don't do, not the things that you do do. Yes. If you, if you look back on, you know, your life now and there was a, a budding um, comic or, or, or actor or an entrepreneur and they're, they're starting out or you were starting out again, like how would you approach it differently in 2022? Like one thing that I've noticed from you that a lot of comedians don't have is a brand and a personal brand. Like you, you're probably one of the biggest personal brands in, Australia in that, that sense. Is there anything you do differently or, or advice you'd give for the young punters? 
Well, as a comedian, I always wanted to be as honest as possible, and I and I, I think I have over the years. So yeah, and be and don't be afraid of your own imperfections, and yeah, don't you don't have to hide your imperfections. You know, you can celebrate your imperfections. So, uh, so that's one thing. But yeah, it's just that it's the freedom to realize that we are. And this is a bit sort of more, uh, I don't know, a bit of you know, maybe I think I'm smoking marijuana, which I'm not, but. Um, <laughs> He's on, he's on the heavy stuff. I know, but it's I talk about this all the time. It's the fact that we are we we are here, but for a moment on this earth, and uh, I really want people just to just to marvel at the fact that they're alive. You know, and that is a really. But it's if you have that, it's sense, true about mate. It's yeah, a yeah, wonderment that you're alive, and the fact that it's a miracle. Each moment is a miracle, and that attitude. If you can keep that attitude as much as possible, I think everything will fall into place for you, and then. And you won't be what you won't worry as much, and you won't be scared of stuff, and you'll take more chances, you know, because you're not worried about what can go wrong. You're happy to celebrate the fact that you're here now, and that life is amazing, mate. Hundred percent, and you and you, you're uh, you're living proof that if you follow your passion and you just keep on grinding at it, mate, good things can happen, eh? Exactly, but you know, the attitude is is its own reward. You know, it's just. It's all attitude, and, and and today is the best day, no matter where you are, mate. Gold. There we go. There's philosophical Husey for you. <laughs> a, a side many many wouldn't have heard. Exactly. No, I, I I am trying. I'm endeavouring to do to live by it as much as possible. I'm not perfect, but I'm practicing, mate. Gold. I uh I really really appreciate your time, mate, and on short notice too. One text message on a Monday morning, and here no, it is. I ignore, three, I ignore three messages, and then bang, we're on. So. I'm pretty sure you knocked back uh, Russell Crowe to pay, play tennis this morning, didn't you? Just just to come on the podcast. Well, you know what, Russell Crowe actually, we 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 were on a boat uh, in Sydney Harbour the other day with Aaron Molan and Ed Cavalier, and Aaron sent Aaron photographed the front of Russell's not his house, but his apartment building, and he sent a message back saying that everyone looked good. That Ed and Aaron looked really good, and uh, it was good they were taking me for an outing. So, so I'm like, Russell Crowe's dissing me, man. I'm like, I'm the invalid that has been taken for an outing. So I, I sent a message back. I said, Aaron, just tell him that in my witty way, I tell him to get fucked. Right? So. <laughs> <laughs> mate, gold. I fucking really, really appreciate you coming on, mate. It means a lot, and I'm sure there's a lot of uh, young people out there that are going to get a lot of value from it. Good on you, mate. Cheers, buddy. You're a good man. Thanks, Ayers. Bye.